All right, folks, Adidas. Adidas is pushing the boundaries once again in golf footwear. And if you've been counting, I don't I haven't been counting. It's a lot of times. But they're doing it again, so whatever many times it's been, it's at one. Uh, so you need to check this out. It's called the Code Chaos, all capitals. The footwear team let me know that this shoe was meant to break down traditional stereotypes and make a statement that there doesn't have to be one look for the sport when it comes to golf footwear. It's it's athletic and bold from a style standpoint, but this shoe is seriously packed with technology. It's spikeless, but beyond just being tested with guys like DJ and Xander, they did heat map studies. Heat map. That means they know where you are right now. They literally know, and watch, I'm telling you, you're going to get an ad for Adidas footwear in your feed. I'm telling you, and I just, it's not me. I don't know if it's them. It's probably Xander, not DJ. Xander's got an X in his name, so he's a little more sinister. Even though I would not, I would probably feel more likely that DJ would really, he could he could do some damage with the club um, to my face. So to see how players shift their weight, they use this heat mapping technology to, to see where they, they shift their weight, but also where you are physically at this current moment uh, throughout the swing. So anyway, with all that info, they created a new traction system called Twist Grip. Twist grip. That's spelled the way it sounds. Anyway, so the players get the grip they need exactly where they need it, and this is an ad lib, and when they need it. That's I just added that. Uh, it's waterproof. Waterproof is key. Let's get let's get honest, folks. If you want a waterproof shoe, unless you live in the desert, you can wear sandals or moccasins. But for everybody else, you need the waterproof shoe. So hit up the code chaos. It's waterproof, lightweight, and obviously has the boost cushioning which we all love. There's even a high-top boa version, which I'm not sure I'm man enough to rock, but John Rahm is. But he's also he's very, very good at golf. We can all agree. These things are next level, so get yourself a pair. Head over to adidas.com slash code chaos. Spelled the way it sounds. Although the C-H in chaos is sounds more like a K. So it's C-O-D-E-C-H-A-O-S. And shop the styles and follow Adidas Golf on Instagram and Twitter for all the latest news from Le Trois Stripes. That's three stripes, folks. All right, one more ad read. I'll probably do another one after this. Jones Sports Go, folks. If you want the bag that I rock, it's the Jones Sports Bag. They got the Player Series. They got the original. What are the other? What's the other models they got? The stand bags? We're pulling it up in the studio, folks. But here's the thing. Jones if you haven't seen the video on YouTube yet, please check it out. We went up there, visited with them. We designed a lot of cool stuff. We're going to be designing more stuff. We have two bags on the Random Golf Club site that have the Random Golf Club script on it. The Utility Trooper is the is the is the info I'm getting of the name of the other bag that I like. It's got the stand. It's got the stand bag. I also I I mostly rock the original, which is based on a design from the 70s. Uh, was his name Jones? His name was Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones and me. Now that guy got in a lot of trouble for some what's that taxi cabs. But the but the guy who sang the song, Mr. Jones, he's no he's gotten a lot of trouble. Don't want to talk about him. But Mr. Jones, not that the song is written about, was a taxi driver in New York. He made a golf bag out of the upholstery in his taxi. And that's where Jones has come from. So they're obviously the comfortable shoulder strap on the original series is what I love. Got a lot of cargo space and you got three pockets to hold all your clubs. And you look basically like a badass. You're 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 if you're if you don't have a if you don't have a significant other at, at the start of the round, you will have one at the end. Am I right? Watch out! It's, it's you know that's the studio here says, get a Jones bag. I'm not going to say get laid, but basically that's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I didn't say it, 
You said it. You heard it. I didn't say it. Jones Sports Club, everybody. Love them. Taylor made, folks. I got to tell you, the first golf clubs that ever went in my little old hands were Taylor made burner oversize. They had some crusty old grips that I redid myself at risk of my own fingertips with the razor, and I and I got high because I don't know if you ever regripped your clubs, but you 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 become an an inhalant addict because you're putting like really noxious stuff. Don't don't grip your own clubs unless you really want to. Anyway, mad respect. Give me a fist bump whenever I see you. I grip my own clubs. I put the grips on them myself. I saved. How much did you save? I mean, you could save money. You save money because I think you put them on. It's like twenty bucks each, and you and you buy the grips yourself. It's like eight bucks. By the way, regripping fourteen clubs. I mean, you, that's like a lot. Go buy TaylorMades instead. They come with grips. My favorite TaylorMade edition now, obviously the Sim Max I'm playing, is a monster club. One of the many things Tiger Woods have an eye in common is playing the Sim. But also, I really, I kind of love the wedges, the raw faced wedges. MG. I both love the high toe in matte black. I also have a matte black shaft. I know you didn't ask, but I went ahead and told you. Anyway, TaylorMade, my favorite thing about TaylorMade beyond the incredibly performing equipment is the people that make this company up. The, the, band of, the band of brothers down here, the band of sisters, the family in Carlsbad really, really gets behind what we do, and that means it's important for you to get behind what they do. So go support TaylorMade, everybody, and hit them straight or just don't, just, just hit them with TaylorMades, though. Just get some. Just stop messing around with all the others. Hit them straight with TaylorMade, but just hit TaylorMade at least. I mean, if you're not, I mean, just just go. I mean, what are you doing? Just pause the pod. Go on TaylorMade. What's their website? I don't even. They don't even need a website. Just go find TaylorMade ASAP. There should be what? What I play? I play the okay. Studio is asking me to play. I play the P760s four through pitch. Then I've got the milled grind raw face. 50, 54, and 58, and then I rock. I'm in between the Gapper and the Sim Hybrid right now. I play the two Gapper. Uh, I've got a steel shaft at 6.5 Project X in that one, as with all the irons. And then on the driver, I have the uh, Sim Max with a 9 degree. I'm still working on getting my numbers on that. I don't really know. I got the 10.5 and, and the 9. We're going to do a little experimentation. Maybe, honestly, you know what? Whatever one I don't use, how about it's yours? How about that? We're gonna. I don't know how we're going to manage this. Head over to the Instagram account. Get ready for the old giveaway of the driver that I can't hit. (laughs) Anyway, TaylorMade's the family, folks. You know, uh, before we get into a lot of things, it just occurred to me that people probably recognize you from your voice. They probably hear you and they say, that's your Dottie Pepper. Much more than than sight. What does that, that, uh, you know, um, interaction look like? I hate my voice, so I'm not sure. <laughs> you do not. I do. I, you have a great voice. I think, oh, every time I hear myself on radio, or I just think it's, ugh. You wouldn't have gotten the job that you have if, objectively speaking, you didn't have a pleasing voice. Yeah, I mean, you learn how to project, and you learn how to use it as an instrument. Do you want to take the but, headphones off, then? No, I'm good. <laughs> no, this actually makes it sound a little better to me. It's a good quality headphones. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so, so you don't like the sound of your own voice? No. I often turn down radio earlier... <laughs> When I was playing, because I just thought I sounded terrible. Like during interviews and mm-hmm. stuff. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people come up to you and they say, "I know, I know your voice," what yeah, do they usually say to it's you? It's the voice that puts them to sleep on Sunday afternoon <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> Truly, <laughs> I've had people say to my husband, "Is it okay that I like falling asleep to the sound of your wife's voice on Sunday afternoon <laughs> watching golf?" 
I guess that's all right. What does, uh, I'm sure that David's also watching. Yes. Right. Yeah. Critiquing, watching, applauding, all, all of the above. So he's my, he's my filter. Right. Yeah. Um, you, uh, I'm curious to know about that. So, so you met David, uh, third husband. I'm curious mm -hmm. to know, is it, you guys, obviously he's a historian. He's, uh, he's involved in golf deeply. Is that, it, I don't know what your other relationships in your life have been like, but I'm curious to know to what extent does golf play the sort of pivotal uh, sort of convening theme in your relationship? It's there. It's work, uh, but we do a really good job of setting it aside as well. Uh, if you go into our house, you'll see zero golf memorabilia except in our two, two offices. Interesting. It is very compartmentalized. Is that, and I'm learning as a, you know, my new career is golf, mm -hmm. it, that on some level, you know, golf started out as, you know, a game for me is fun as leisure activity. And now it's pretty much exclusively work. Yeah. And so it's, it's sad to think that going on a golf trip is, is necessary for me as a person and a golfer, but it's also strange and sort of feels a little bit like work every once in a while. Sure. And it's the same for us. Uh, golf was my, my passion that turned into my work. Passion turned into education, turned into work, and now it's a continuing education, and I think that's, that's kind of his trajectory uh, as well, now that I kind of stop and think about it. But um, things that we do at home, we set golf aside. We, ha we have to. We both enjoy canoeing. We both like being outside. We both are good skiers. I mean, we, we like doing the other things that golf really allows us to do. Yeah, I'm beginning to see that I I uh, I need a new hobby. Yeah. So what would you can you recommend any that are easy? <laughs> be, live, you know, I don't live. You guys live in uh, you know a nice suburban or rural maybe. We're border. I mean, we live in the city limits, but it's it gets rural quickly. <laughs> yes. Is it upstate New York or upstate is it central? Okay, upstate. No, definitely upstate. Eastern New York, I guess, if you wanted to be on the super Hudson. Super technical. We're very close to the Hudson. We're within an hour of the Vermont border, so we are way east that is that sounds ideal living in la what should i what should i pick up as a hobby that's not just let's go play golf let's go play golf let's watch golf you have i mean you have amazing hiking so close here i kind You're of not a hiker i kind of hate hiking and and part of it is because the uh the la thing to do is to go for a hike okay so what what is the non-la thing to do because that's what she should probably do. Yeah, I get. What would it be? It be like to play golf. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to sit in traffic. Yeah. Well, I, I'll need to unpack this a little bit on my own, but I'm realizing that I need to sort of. You need to. It's a balance. So that I'm refreshed when you know, like you, when when you go to a golf tournament and you have to, you know, call the golf for how long is it? Five hours. It can be five hours. Yes. I mean, we did a five-hour show opening la on Saturday at San Diego because of weather delays. Right. You're going to play to the finish. It's going to be on somewhere. It's not just because you have a three-hour network window. You're going you're gonna to finish that day, even if Mother Nature finishes it for you. You're right. going to finish it dark. What do you do to prepare for that? I mean, it seems, you know, I think very few people on planet Earth have the experience of speaking into a microphone mm -hmm. with no buffer. On live television, you're you're you. It's it scared me. I did it once or twice, maybe, and it was it was super scary until the until the red light went on, and then you're just in it. You talk about golf, as you know, through a speedy filter. Speedy filter. What is that? Um, 
kind of hear yourself say what you what you intrinsically know that you know about golf because that's what you're really out there talking as someone who knows the the game of golf but to run it through today's silly pc filters because you are trying to keep your job (laughs) yeah yeah you can't uh let's talk about that for a second that's changed a lot of what we can say and and obviously um you know the the way we talk to our friends at dinner is different than the way you talk even right now probably or the way i talk to myself whoa completely different than what i would that would be permissible to go over the air <laughs> i'm curious to know dottie's internal dialogue what is it what does it sound like uh, sometimes it's not real positive <laughs> there's a lot of what the yeah yeah well i imagine as a as a professional athlete that sort of comes with the territory of course of course you have to be critical you if you're not critical you're not going to get better and i think that goes as you're looking back at shows i watch a lot of our shows again and I'm very critical of myself in the effort to get better what do you see typically that you're sort of saying I, I don't want to do that anymore I, I think I can continue to be more economical with words a better choice of words that paint a picture just a little sharper right and that's what I'm always trying to do and, and this came back from when I first started doing this in 2004 with Mike Tirico he always goes back and watches his own shows. And think about the number of shows and the variety of shows he does. Everything from the NFL to studio to golf to Olympics to you name it. Mike Tirico has done it and continues to do it today on radio even with Westwood. Right. So if, if he's spending that time to go back over all of his shows, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, uh, you, you, it's mandatory to, to review. It really is. I uh, don't like doing that, especially with the podcast, because, you know, when I started out, I really didn't know anything about it. Well, the format is also much looser with a podcast. Sure, but I I can't do it. I go back and listen and I cringe. See, this is why I didn't do radio, because I cringed at the sound of my voice. No, no, it's not the sound of my voice. I've gotten gotten comfortable with that. It's it's what I'm saying or how I'm Hmm. saying it or... You know, one of the things that I really saw myself doing and that I've heard other podcasters do is interrupting the guest. You don't like that? Hate it. Ah, okay. Why are they on? Fair enough. I get that you sometimes want to steer it to a certain direction or you have an idea, but it, it would infuriate me. And actually, some people I've seen, I don't know where or how, but some people say, oh, you know, he's, stop, stop, you know, um, uh, cutting the guest off or whatever and so i've tried to that's been the biggest thing i've tried to change is just stop talking but you wouldn't have known that unless you listened a little bit to your own work true yeah so that that's i think where where i'm getting at we don't we don't realize things sometimes because we're in the heat of the moment and we're always thinking ahead what's what's next whether so if we have that time to to really put it under a little bit of a microscope a little bit of a filter i think we get better do you ever, um, especially at some of the premier events that you work at, do you ever go in thinking, oh, I'd like to, I, I just observed this, and I'd like to somehow work that into what I'm talking about? And you must. It, a, lot of, a lot of what you're talking about is technical, but you have a very creative job. Yes, and, and I think you come in with a pretty large volume of preparation, 
and you use maybe 10% of it. So things that you think the day may turn out to be, I mean, somebody could open double-double and you have all of this information on somebody and you've spoken to their caddy, you've spoken to their agent, you've spoken to their mom and dad, and none of it ever sees air. That happens, and it doesn't happen infrequently. So, yeah, you have a, a preconceived idea of what the day is going to look like and what the conversations might be, and by the time we get on the air, it's all been shot to hell, gone. That's, uh, that's just that's just what that's happens. That's live television. You've, uh, you've worked for every broadcast company that does golf. I have, and, and, and they fit interesting different places I was in my life because I was you know, really trying to cut my teeth Golf Channel early on, 2004, and NBC was primarily, my focus was women's golf. They had the USGA package, so the U.S. Women's Open was huge, not only for me, but for the company. Put a lot of resources into it. Tommy Roy, the producer, huge women's golf fan, and did some studio Golf Channel, but I was living in Florida, and I was just getting into the business, and it was okay to do 30 weeks a year. Right. And some of it was just going up and down on the Florida Turnpike. I'm two hours from the studio. I don't have to be living in Orlando. I was very happy living in Jupiter. Uh, decide in 2000, end of 2008, that I really wanted to move back home to upstate New York. Continued to do NBC, but having Golf Channel on top of it and that the way things had changed at Comcast and Golf Channel and kind of looking forward, it was no longer a great fit. I, I, I wanted a personal balance instead of just work all the time and coming home to a dog who was heartbroken rather than having a balanced life. So Golf Channel goes away in 2009. Comcast buys NBC. There you go. <laughs> so and I'm right we're back. back. And we're <laughs> yeah, back. Back to Dottie. So as that evolved going into 2012, it looked like, again, it was going to be more and more time away. Harder place to travel from at home, but I'm very happy at home. So I decided to walk away and had an opportunity to serve on the PGA board, kind of refine my look on golf from an administrative standpoint, from a grow the game standpoint, from a lot of different places. And ESPN came along with the, the perfect package because they just had the USGA and they had the Open Championships. So it was eight weeks of work. It was phenomenal, and I could still do it. Was serving on the board at the PGA, calling remotely to board meetings and do those sort of requirements. And then, as that landscape changed, um, ESPN was good enough to let me take up the opportunity that CBS came with me. So it was—it's all evolved as my life has evolved, and I've been really fortunate. I think one of the most interesting things about all that is, well, there's two things I find. Let's first talk about uh, the two years with the, serving on the PGA. Mm, three. three. And uh, focusing on advancing junior golf. Mm -hmm. That was obviously, w w what was the genesis of that? Was that you saying, I need, to, I, need to, I need to work on something that's happening in the landscape of golf worldwide right now? Or did they find you and say, you can help us? Ted Bishop found me. Uh, I was in a position where I think at some point you need to leave things maybe a little bit better than you found them, and that was my opportunity to do that. Junior golf was a huge thing. Women's golf opportunities were, but I wouldn't have been in the position I was without my PGA professional, no doubt. 
uh, when you got into when golf? When I got into golf. At what age? I started playing the summer I was seven, eight years old, but I met him in my early teens and changed the direction of how I looked at the game, opportunities that I had, my belief in the fundamentals of the game that haven't changed. And the way he was a steward of the game mm. for so many people, whether they were 55-year-old businessmen or just kids coming up, uh, he imparted so much good about the game in such a great way that it was my opportunity that, okay, you know, financially I'm, I'm okay. I don't need to work right now, and let's do something a little different. Let's, um, and I, I mean, I looked at buying a business at home. I mean, I was ready to just kick this to the curb this whole television travel all of that and um like, like i said espn came calling at just the right time with just the amount of work but i would have been pretty happy just being a little saratogian and owning the flower shop and and doing all that we went we explored all of it a flower shop mm -hmm. um what would you call the flower shop did you have a name well it is it, it would, would have been buying a business that's there now it's the, it's the posy peddler <laughs> there you go <laughs> Um, I'm curious to know more about the the the, the pro that you knew as a, as a youngster. What was what was so his name? name? Was George Pulver. He was a founding member of the Northeastern New York PGA section. Played qualified for a number of PGA championships. Very very nice player and in his own right. And family work took precedent as a lot of PGA professionals who qualified for the championship at that time didn't play because they couldn't afford to. Right. Um, his daughter played college golf at a very very early stage in women's collegiate golf she's now in her early 80s still very active from a media standpoint she ran hr for gannett and just his daughter his son played baseball with my dad i mean it was a saratoga family but he came he was scottish background that was just golf at its core and built clubs, built golf courses, was an agronomist, did all of it. So I, I had the great luck of having all of that. And every lesson he gave me, there was a typed letter left in my parents' mailbox, summarizing, looking forward, and usually leaving me with a book to read. Wow. Very thorough. Much more than just a, uh, a, a simple swing coach. Way, way more, way more. Yeah, it's too bad that I feel like the landscape for uh, newcomers to the game and their relationship to the professionals, the PGA professionals that they interact with, it, it, it's hard. I feel like it's harder and harder. And maybe it's because I'm a city kid, right? New York and L.A. It's, it's harder to develop that relationship, it seems like. It seems like it's a little easier relationship to develop if there's a green grass element to it. Yeah. Although, George Gankus has done a hell of a job. Off mats, yeah. Off mats. I, I <laughs> applaud him, man. He, I mean, he's making golf cool for a lot of people. Right. Way cool. What, um, so, so when, when, what was the biggest challenge that you were dealing with on the, on the PGA, working with them? I think it's a continuing battle, and the word revenue just drives me crazy. Mm, why? Because it's changed the way people look at golf professionals and the way they look at their memberships. Um, the, the minute revenue came into the, the vocabulary, I think some of the passion of the PGA professional was somehow changed to looking at the almighty dollar, where if we look at the bigger scope, um, 
of making the game healthier, that all takes care of itself. When, when did revenue become, because ultimately, I'm, when you said revenue, I was kind of thinking, I agree, but also, who, who's getting that revenue? Like, right. what, what's, what, who is that? Yeah, who is it? Where does it go? Yeah. And how much of it is actually getting back to the PGA professional? That is why I think there's angst with PGA professionals and national, because they don't feel like national is doing a good enough job at what they need to do for their jobs rather than running it as a big organization. And, and I do think that Seth was trying to address that. Get more, let's get more to the PGA professional and what they need to do their jobs better. Because if they do better, the whole game does better. Yeah, I mean, because it's like <clears throat> golf as a sport is not a nonprofit. No. But it has a lot of very complicated uh, logistical elements to it that it has to kind of burden to make money or to even stay in business. You have to, sp you have to spend money to make money at golf. You have to. It's not, golf courses just don't stay playable. Yeah. You have to spend money. Facilities take money to run. Um, but I, I think golf also changed when the GM became a big part of clubs. And Tell me about that. I don't know about that. Instead of just your golf professional being the guy that's, or woman that's in there, running the operation, they're now answering to somebody who's looking at revenue. Uh, we're a business. We're a business. Yeah. Where I, I believe if you nurture it a little more organically, the business takes care of itself instead of forcing it from top down. From my perspective, I've, I've heard some anecdotal things about this and whatever, but it seems like t Tiger happened. Yep. Everyone started making a lot of money. Everything was really busy in golf. And then all of a sudden... It was like we became, as a community, goal-oriented, dollar-oriented, and then all of a sudden, you know, golf just became out of reach for a lot of people. But what drove it? Where did people think they were going to make their money? Real estate. Right. So we overbuilt golf courses thinking that Tiger was going to deliver everything. He was going to deliver cool golf. He was going to deliver housing developments. He was going to deliver infrastructure. He was going to do all of this when... It was just greedy right? to think that, oh, developers are going to make a ton of money. Yeah, and I mean, on some level, it's like you don't see basketball courts every corner. Correct. You don't see baseball diamonds everywhere. Correct. And we built bigger and bigger golf courses that took more and more money to keep up. Yeah, and, and sort of even still with, with other sports, with the exception of maybe hockey, that they don't cost much as a user, so there's not much revenue to be made That's on right. playing Little League. Exactly. But now it's, oh, well, we've got this plot of land on the lake, and there's a hole that you can see. That's, that's complex. It's very complex. It gets back to the root of why are we doing this, and I don't think people ask that question. And then we get back to that revenue word. Well, why are we doing this is, is a very tough question to ask, and I've tried to actually stop with myself. But if, if developers, if people had asked, why are we building this? Why are we really building this golf course? Uh -huh. We're building it to sell real estate. To make money. Make money. Yeah, that's tough. How do we sustain that golf? Because the golf was what brought people into it to begin with. Right. So now we have these fights going on where people have all this money invested in their homes and their home sites. And the course closes. Correct. Ouch. That's a big ouch. It happened almost to my parents. Yeah. It's happened to a lot of people. What does it, can it, will it ever change? Will it ever revert? Is that what needs to happen? I think this, this wave of simple golf, a lot mm. of the things that you've been talking about helps reverse that. 
people understand it doesn't have to be flashy, it doesn't have to be gilded, it doesn't have to be this perfect green, it has to be rewarding golf. And I, I'm just sensing that simpler golf is starting to really take hold. Nine hole experience, the using the golf course for other things like where we are in upstate New York, it's open all year long to go cross country skiing, snowshoeing, they flood the back for skating, they use their club for more than just golf. Right. It seems like that's going to be hard to do. There, there's no rules that you can enforce that could say, okay, you know, in order for golf to survive in a, in a, in a brilliant future, this mm -hmm. is what we need to do. It seems like it's just kind of, you know, if there's 30,000 courses, it's like there's 30,000 people that aren't really voting for the best thing for the game. Right. And, and I think, too, everybody had their hair on fire about golf is going to go away. We're writing the epitaph now. But if you look at golf as maybe in the restaurant industry, if four restaurants closed in this neighborhood in Santa Monica, you wouldn't say the restaurant business is in trouble. Right, right. Maybe it was a bad business model. Yeah. So I think we have to look a little closer, too, about is, is it a sustainable business model that we've set this golf course and golf course community on a path to? Right. Have we set ourselves up for failure? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, it, it's it's a hard question, and on some level, you. I mean, I do feel like I can do something, but mm -hmm. it, even even in my position, it does feel on some level. Well, the interesting experience for me is I'm in LA, very not often. I'm here now. You're you're on an airplane. Yeah, primarily an airplane. <laughs> yes. There's no golf courses on planes. No. Um, I come home to LA, and when I as a as a public golfer, I want to go play, and it's actually pretty challenging to find a good course that is. And and I don't even. I'm I'm okay to pay any mm -hmm. price. It doesn't yep. really matter. But it's sort of it, it's a challenge. Even Rustic Canyon access cannot get on. Literally, yeah. first tee time we have is one thirty. Sunsets at five. Okay, um, you know wherever. So it's all, it's like an hour and twenty minute drive usually. Which, yep. yeah, I mean I, it's a specific problem. Perhaps uh, what have you? What I guess what have you seen as you travel around American cities? Who do you think has the public golf solution? Have you seen it? Have you have you? I think there are pockets that that get it right. Um, fortunate where we live, city of twenty eight thousand people. We have. Well, city limits, we have 54 holes okay. within our city limit. 27 are a state-run public facility. And I think while they do a good job, it's underutilized because they have a short course, a par 29. And so there's seven par threes and two par fours. Walkable from downtown if you wanted to. And 18 holes of a championship course. What are we doing to make those incubators? Right. I, I, so I think. Get people into golf. Get people into golf. Get them, get them started. Keep them. Because where those, those facilities excel um, are the kids getting them on the golf course, being there for junior programming, and also for senior golf. Right. Because it's still manageable. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, Augusta, a couple of your dog, and a couple other things. <laughs> Be right back. All right. I'm going to catch you now. we got to go. Let, 
Give me a second, all right? I'm about to do an ad read for Vice Golf. I don't even have a read, so this is a this is an ad lib. This is an ad libbed lib read. Anyway, Vice Golf, you all know I love the brand. Uh, they make a great golf ball, and there are things that I would tell you in person about the golf ball that I can't tell you in a public forum. But basically, the golf ball is amazing. Technically speaking, on test, it performs as good or better than what we call, quote, the best golf ball on tour. Now, the Vice Golf Ball also has one cool thing, which is that it's cool. Obviously, the scripting is really sweet. But beyond that, as another cool thing, I'm going to keep pulling cool things out of this ball. The second cool thing is that you can't get it in a pro shop. So go online, go to vicegolf.com, and get your slick balls. They've got all different types. They've got the Tour. They've got the Drive. They've got the Pro. They've got the Pro Plus. They've got different colors. And you can also personalize less than uh, you can personalize. I don't know what number you can personalize, but you can personalize them. Whereas other brands don't let you personalize them except for once a year. So check out vicegolf.com. Get yourself some smooth and cool balls for the course, that is. Anyway, y'all, see you in the showers until the next ad read. Precision Pro, folks. I'm going to do an ad-libbed Precision Pro read. Here's the thing about Precision Pro. They're made by some great guys in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's got great design. And coming out soon, you're going to get a very special colorway of the NX9 Pro with slope. Is that right? That's it. I got, I got a thumbs up in the studio here that that's the exact rangefinder. Not only do you get free battery replacement for life, but you get slope and you get laser. I mean, it is a laser, laser sharp accuracy. And you get, I don't know, you just get to be part of something cool that I'm down with. So Precision Pro is great. Obviously, the family there in Cincinnati makes them good. We did an RGC there. If you haven't seen it, check out the video on the YouTube channel. We gave everybody a rangefinder. But stay tuned. Coming around April, we're going to be releasing a random golf club version of this rangefinder. It is the most beautiful rangefinder I've ever seen on planet Earth. And I, as you know, I haven't traveled any other planets yet. I've done a lot of countries and states and towns, continents, hemispheres. But I've never left the planet. And I was just talking to someone who said that that's on their bucket list. It's not on mine. I don't share that. But on this planet, the Random Golf Club Rangefinder will literally blow your mind, but it won't blow your wallet. The Rangefinder for everyone, people. Enjoy it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. All right, we are back. We have actually changed locations. We're, we're, we're in your traveling uh, home here, this hotel room in Los Angeles. We were interrupted by a uh, lovely family wanting to play uh, pool. So we've switched into the business center here. It's very quiet. Better sound. Um, what, uh, what sticks out to you when you think about Augusta? Wow. I, I think it's some of the things that people don't know or don't realize that it's just a winter club. It's not open during the summer. It's not overseeded. It's not green all year long. That's beautiful rye overseed that makes it pop the way it does. And um, some of the oh, some of the things people don't realize about the show. That there's no blimp. Interesting. There's no blimp. It's very quiet out there. So you don't hear the noise of the Goodyear blimp. It's extremely quiet. Um, the other thing, there are no walkers. Everyone is, so my normal job is not my normal job. 
I'm sitting in a tower, and there are no on-course reporters. So those are the two biggest differences from week-to-week coverage or even other major championships. There's nobody on the ground. You normally have the belt with the wire and the mic and the headphones. The extra eight pounds, yes, and of this, course. And you're kind of walking up and down the hole or holes. In this case, you're stationed. You're stationed. The other thing, uh, you can't you can't walk in the fairways during a practice round. You're out there with the patrons doing your doing your homework from outside. But what you can do, and I make sure I do every day, this goes back to Clifford Roberts and Bob Jones. They wanted the announcers that were calling their golf tournament to know what the greens did, so you go out and putt every morning. They they give you. Yeah, I take my putter with me. I take three balls, and I've I've been out at thirteen. Every year I've been assigned there early in the morning. It is, it's just you got to pinch yourself. What uh, so they allow um, the gates open at eight o'clock? Whatever they determine the and that and you have uh, you have un- you're you're there alone, isolated on thirteen, or are fans are in yet. No, they've just started to filter in by the time I get there. So there's a few people that are in the observation stand to the right, right, which is more over by really 14T. 14T. Exactly. <clears throat> and where are you? You're um, high right. High right. So up you're in sort the of trees, behind really. the. F- oh, you're back right of 13. Okay. Sits up high. And you hang out there all day. This little green desk with plexiglass and it's me my spotter and the cameraman do you uh, do people bring food to you during the no. day do they bring it yourself you go out oh you bring yeah, you bring you a just, lunch yeah if, if you if you want snacks bring them yourself okay there's a cooler up there because it would be tough if you went to the snack shack that would be that it's would close be, though it's very close <laughs> it's very close it's right there <laughs> it is it is it's such a special place for to visit every year it must be for you it is but this this particular this past year I woke up and I looked at David and I said, did that really happen yesterday? Tiger won the Masters. And he won it in the middle of the afternoon before the weather turned. So we actually got to go back to the house and watch the re-air. That was bizarre. It was wonderfully bizarre. What struck out to you the most from the back nine that Sunday when Tiger won the Masters? The change of trajectory with one golf swing and it wasn't his it was, it was the kepka at 12 right changed it all him he was in oh kepka was in the group before him no there were it was a three yeah it was a, they were they played molinari kepka they were oh no, I see. tony fino fino right Fino. um kepka molinari they, they, it was one that that i wouldn't even say one hole or one swing it was that hole yeah and then it was coming to me. And the oh. whole dynamic of the tournament had changed. So you have you have a TV. I have a TV. I have a scoring monitor. Right. So you have basically what they see in the media Program. center. Program. You have, you have one, one monitor is what's playing on TV, mm-hmm. and the other is just the leaderboard as it changes. Leaderboard as it changes on hot rounds of the day. Hot rounds. Ra- oh, okay. People. So you know who's yeah lower right on that monitor is who the best rounds on the course. Right. What do you see when you look at 13? Um, it could be one of the most interesting holes in all of golf that's not really that wild in its construction. Partly because it was just there. They did very little to construct that hole. When they were out, McKen- McKenzie was out there walking. He said, 
this is where this is going. And it really didn't do much. You can see that when you hit a good shot in the middle of the fairway and the ball's uh, six inches or a foot above your, <laughs> exactly. above your own foot. Exactly. And you really need to hit a high cut in there, but the lie says, no, that's not happening. How, how I'm assuming, I'm assuming you played Augusta. Mm-hmm. When you stood on the 13th tee, mm-hmm. I don't know what your preferred ball flight is, but. <laughs> it's going left. You want to draw it's off the tee draw, and you want to sure. cut it from the fairway. That's right. That's why the hole is so genius. There's a lot of holes like that at Augusta. The second. It's all about the angles at Augusta. People think of, they keep talking about length, 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 speed of greens. It's all about the angles. When you say angles, what does that mean to someone who doesn't really, hasn't been a winner 17 times as a professional golfer? Giving yourself the simplest route to the hole locations. Giving yourself more fall line shots rather than cross fall line shots. Straight up and down shots rather than having to use the the elevation changes are at funky angles. They're, it's not front left back right they're not they're not a, a lot of the way so if you go to Torrey Pines they're very well defined about where the little sections of the greens are Augusta's not like that not as much so on 13 fairway do you want to be on the right side is that what I'm kind of hearing if the hole's back left sure ah uh. the hole's back right I need to be as close to that tributary of Ray's Creek as possible right what was your what was your biggest aha moment when you when you teed up there for the first time? I think the depth of the bunkers surprised me. Uh, height wise, height wise, right? Yes, and the precision it takes to play well there. The golf course is always right on the edge. That if you play great, you're going to put put a great score on, and if if you are just slightly off. It exposes you, and, and now you have 40, 50, 60-foot putts that are difficult for the very, very best players in the world. Yeah, and any misread or miscalculation. It looks so silly. Yeah, your your six- or seven-footer e- easily is, is a hard second putt. That's right. Um, professional golfer, wh- wh- where do you see yourself now? Wh- what are you most? Well, who is Dottie? What's the most of Dottie Pepper right now? Is it? Speaking to a microphone, or is it professional golfer, or is it... No, it's, it's speaking to a microphone. It's, life has moved beyond playing. I don't really play much. Partly because I'm having some physical issues with my feet, but I don't... I want to be fresh enough to do my job that I still want to come do this, not because I've been on the golf course all the time at home. Right. I want to have a... Continue to have a fresh look at what I look at all the time and not come at it from this is the only thing I see is golf. Which is why McElroy, I just, what he's going through right now and simplifying his life and doing other things, reading movies, kind of self-look, I think is fascinating. It's great. You must get to a point as a pro golfer that you're just sort of like a shaken soda. Yes. So much pressure. So much pressure. And you have to have a release valve. And that's canoeing. That's canoeing. It's skiing. It's my garden. I mean, I'm looking at a three or four year plan so I can do a fundraiser in our in our back garden for women's and children's um, 
causes for the Seroptimist, they do a garden tour and I want to have my competitive side says I want to have the best garden. <laughs> <laughs> Trophy. Yes. No, I, I want to have the most people come through and say, holy smokes. She manages to do this when she's on the road as well. You must have some moments where you reflect on Dottie as a professional athlete and as a mm-hmm. contender. What 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 moment do you find yourself kind of thinking about? Is there a moment mm-hmm. that sort of say, oh, you know, I really enjoyed that moment or that was meaningful to me? I think my Solheim Cup times are some of my most fun. And I spent the two days of the early part of the week of Pebble in Laverne with Brandy Burton, and we had just had a ball. Uh, she's kind of taking some of that stuff and applying it to this girls' softball team that she's coaching, and it's one of the best teams in the whole co- on the whole state of California. So we, you know, just kind of put our brains to how she could get a little bit better with relating to these kids and their parents, and some of the societal things that they're going through. Uh, but I, I think some of my 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 favorite moments were certainly from the Solheim Cups. That's so interesting to hear because your resume, that's, that's, that's not the biggest part of your resume. It's, it's majors, it's playoffs, right. it's, it's just almost 20 wins. Mm-hmm. And then you say the thing that really meant the most to me was this sort of group victory. Because what do we do as individual professional golfers? We're on our own. Isolation. We're isolation. We're all about me, and those weeks are anything but that. You know, I, I didn't play team sports other than golf. I didn't play, which is still individual within a team. It's not like you played on the softball team, the tennis team, where you're playing literally with doubles with someone. I didn't do that. I was an individual sport kid. I, I skied, individual sport. Um, so I, I think I really enjoyed that. You... Um you're talking about something that kind of puts me back to uh, I've, I've been thinking about what we just talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast, but process versus goal oriented. Mm. And, you know, as you get to a certain point, you start focusing on goals. All of a sudden you stop enjoying the process. Right. Um, I'm curious to know, is that is that was that part of what made the Solheim Cup experiences so meaningful to you is that you were you were it was so unusual that it was every other year and it was the process was something exciting well there was a process to getting on the team of course and then you have to break down that process to (laughs) not not only how do i get on the team how do i play well enough to make the points to get on the team how do i prepare myself to play well enough to get those points but i i loved seeing what happened behind the scenes Uh, being able to stay with judy rankin in the house at, at muirfield village and see what she went through as a captain and all the other things that went along with it it wasn't just putting a lineup out there it was dealing with media. It was dealing with sponsors. It was making sure we had clean shirts because it had been hot all week long and we ran out of golf, regular golf shirts. Uh, so we had to do laundry on Sunday night, and she and I stayed up and pressed shirts that night, or Saturday night. So, I, you know, it, those are the things that kind of – I like the behind the scenes of the television. I liked the behind the scenes of putting tournaments together. I like the bes- behind the scenes of – what you do as a player to get ready to play well. I think, you know, when I look at what you've kind of spent your life working on, I think to me one of the most interesting things is kind of this unfortunate problem that we're faced with in 2020, which is that 
women, it, golf in general has some problems, however you want to look at it. But even further to that, women's golf, uh, whatever mm-hmm. tour it is, whether it's junior golf, whether it's, you know, um, you know, watching golf on television there, I'm curious to know, you know, we all know kind of the issues associated with it, that it's a minority within a niche, right? Yep. Where do we, is there, is there a direction? What, what, what can I do? What can the people listening to this in their, in their car or lawnmower or headphones do? I I think, well, let's, let's put it this, this is the 75th anniversary of the United States Women's Open. And I had a had a sit down this week with Fox for their USGA look at all of this. And the thing that stood out to me was even going back to Babes of Harris in 54 and when Mickey Wright won at San Diego Country Club, they're athletes and they could just flat play. And that, and people embraced that. They were out there, there were a lot of people out there watching that golf. Even when Carner beat Palmer at Rolling Hills, like 76, I think, outside Philadelphia. There were a lot of people out there watching two really good athletes just go at it. And I think we forget that part, that they're really good athletes, and they also can't – they're not that strong that they can make – that they can get away with some of the things that the guys can do because they can overpower – a golf course overpower a golf ball. So look at it as great athletes, but also an opportunity to learn how to get better at what we're all trying to do. Because I think you have to work really hard not to go to a golf tournament, an LPGA golf tournament, and learn something. Right. About the way they get it around, the way their mechanics and their fundamentals are so good. There's no room for error. And I think if people understand that and just take a look at, yeah, these women can actually make me better. I found that uh, watching swings on the LPGA or the LET way more beneficial to my tempo and my game. Swing speed, compression, all of it, yes. When I watch, the worst thing I can do before playing golf is watch one frame one sort of swing video from brooks kepka that's the worst thing i could absolutely i will lose every t-ball mcelroy same thing yeah that that is no it's it's not relatable right but it's also it's just not good to look at and then go play right that's the last that's the imprint (laughs) in your brain it's not gonna work i hurt i'm hurting my back thinking about it when you think about women's golf though we've we've come have we come a long way I think we've definitely come a long way. There are still more challenges to make. Like what? Purses. Mm. Come up. Give me a better business plan because it really is a business plan. Eyeballs justify what you're paying people. So how do I get more eyeballs there? How do I? It's not a. It's not a sympathy thing. If I'm sitting on a board, I'm not just going to say, "Well, we're going to throw two million dollars toward." women's golf because it's the right thing to do no I, I need to have the reason to do that so give me more interaction with the players give me the reason that that they're going to drive more to my company's charity that they're going to drive more to a particular cause so come up with a a robust business plan that i can justify as a board from a publicly traded company or privately traded company to put money into women's golf 
It's interesting. You know, I was in Korea in October, and women's golf is largely the majority of what's watched and, and you know, tea times booked. Correct. I don't understand. Golf's cool. Right. And one word, one name, Sari Pak. And uh. they ran with it. They absolutely ran with it. It was the can-do kid. And 22 years later, still the can-do kid. Why didn't Lexi have that effect on the United States? Or did she? I think she did in pockets. Yeah. Yeah. But you have, but you have to go. You have to continue to win. Right. What did Sari Park do? She continued <laughs> to win. What has Inby Park continued to do? Uh, today. Today, <laughs> exactly. Continues to win. You can't have a Paula Creamer that won one major championship. You can't have Lexi just show up. You have to. There has to be sustainable face. It's sustainable out output. It seems like whether you're wa- whatever golf tournament you're watching or tour or anything, it seems like we as fans just want someone that we can get behind that will probably win. You know, it's like it's like we yeah. want to root for someone that we think will have a chance to win. And it's our job as broadcasters to give you a reason to root for them. How do you do that? We need to personalize them, tell you stuff that you wouldn't otherwise be able to know. Right. Always. So what are you going to say about Rory today that I don't know? This will air much after wow. this tournament, so it's. Um, all, I, I learned so I learned something from talking to him yesterday. So I, watching him hit, hit balls on the range, he's got his watch on his right hand. I noticed that too. Typically, you wear your timepiece on the hand that you don't write with, correct? Yeah. So I said, "You're not left-handed, are you?" And he said, "No." He said, "But I'm so used to having it was that band, the monitoring band." I'm yes. wearing it right now. He said, I was so used to having that on my wrist that it was just fine to put my watch there. And they made the stem collapsible so it doesn't get in the way. Oh, yeah, because when he takes his right hand to the top. That's right. The stem would be. Yeah, the crown would hit hit the back of his hand. Correct. So it collapses. But that piece is still on him. On his leg. Bicep? Left bicep. Left bicep. Why did he hide it? He said it's just where it, it felt comfortable. Yeah, because it's kind of a tight fit. Yeah, so it's on his left bicep. We're talking about the whoop strap, everybody. Yeah. I, I got mine three days ago, Yeah, but this is not an ad for so that. So it's on, it's on his left bicep, but like son of a gun. Interesting. No yeah. one would know that. No one would know that. And that he switched to metal spikes again. Really? Yes. When was that? Beginning of this year. Why? It feels comfortable enough. Well, left ankle... Right. All is is good. He and can put the stress on it. He can put the stress on it. And I, and I do think if, if you get on uneven ground and there's any moisture at all, it's another just level of contact with the ground. And where is he generating his power from the ground up? Yeah, that's fascinating. That's, that's go zone. It really is. Yes. Oh, I'm excited to watch today. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no. So as I said on the on the air yesterday, he's no longer going to sneak up on you because you can hear him coming <laughs> <now>. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for joining me. It's been no, a really pleasant really talk. Fun. Thank you. Yeah.